Thank you all so much for holding. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you allow us to receive your word today. Let it let us retain it in our hearts. Keep our hearts soft and melted for you, God. We want to be able to fulfill your plan, will, and purpose for our life. And so we ask that you continue to lead us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you please allow me to minister the word today and in a way that is edifying and provide hope through the word of God to those people that are feeling lost and um, filled with despair and hopelessness. But most importantly, God, please allow us to let your will be done. Please let your will be done. Not our will, but your will. And um, please do not let me forget anything that I need to discuss. But most importantly, God, please, Lord, give us a double portion of your love, mercy, and grace. And that your will be done. In Jesus' name, it is still in your atonement blood. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today on Laws, Life, and Health. Um, today, I'm going to be continuing on in the discussion of women's health. But I do want to kind of place emphasis on um, the anthropology of guilt and also uh, shame. And so when we think about, you know, sin, it really, really can impact our position, our perspectives, and it also shapes our behaviors and reactions to things. So I want to talk about anthropology specifically as it pertains to guilt and shame. So anthropology is basically the the science of studying humans. It's the science behind analyzing people, the different branches of the way we concentrate on things, specifically our um the biological aspects and how it impacts our behaviors and also our reactions to things, including just um, focusing on the guilt and shame aspect of anthropology will allow us to dive deep into how our emotions and our um, feelings sort of shape the way we respond to things and react to people. So anthropology is simply this, it's just, studying of human, okay? It's the science of humanity. It studies everything about humans, okay? And including the why we respond and behave the way that we do. And it analyzes the different branches of our social and cultural norms. And so what I wanted to place emphasis on is the guilt and shame. So when we are sinning, right, it's like you kind of want to feel what you feel like okay, I made a mistake, or do you feel guilty? And so, like, in prior weeks, in the um the preceding weeks that I've talked about, you know, having God convict our hearts when we do wrong, it's like, are, is your heart convicted when you do wrong? It, can your, is your heart still, like, do you feel bad about what you did? And so, the way we change, the way we change that um, our our ability to change things that empowers us, meaning we're changing from things that is no longer, you know, um, an empowering mechanism that's being used for our life. But now we're changing something that many times we're uncomfortable with. 
for instance, when we are changing certain attributes about ourselves, it could be an uncomfortable experience. Many people want to stay within their comfort zone. So when you're doing things outside of your comfort zone, it can be uncomfortable. And so when you correlate conviction in your heart, meaning the conviction of that mistake or guilt or the shame that you feel, to you embracing that, it allows you to be empowered. Um, when we reject the idea of changing, it disallows us to progress and move forward in our journey through this thing called life. And so our journey in life, it should be a continuation of progress. And the only way we can have this continuation of progress on our journey in life is we have to be willing to embrace change. And so like I talked about, like earlier this one about failures and how excuses are permanent, but failures eventually will always equate to success. Now, sometimes repeated failures, they will equate to success, but they'll just take a longer time to process, right? So like if you're making a mistake and you keep doing the same thing over and over again, meaning that now this has become a recycled mistake. And so the failure is being repeated over and over and over again. And so in order to avoid those type of failures, we have to learn from our existing failures and maybe do something different. So that second time you do it, it may still equate to failure, but guess what? You learn from the first time. And so now you just apply a new technique. So the third time you do it, now you're not going to do it the way that you did it the first or the second time. You're going to apply a different technique. So it's all about improvement. It's all about progression. But when we are sinning and we don't have conviction in our hearts, that basically it disallows us to progress on our journey. And so what happens is, you know, we have this repeated behavior um, pattern that is consistent to continuing on in these recycled mistakes over and over and over again. And so in order to prevent that, we, we need to have self-reflexivity that allows us to look at ourselves, right? We're, we're perceiving ourselves, not the perception of how we feel other people should be. We have to look at ourselves. So for instance, with me, it's like when I make these mistakes and sometimes they are more frequent than others, right? So um, making mistakes, it, is, it, it really does make you feel bad. Um, the problem is, is that when you make a mistake and you don't feel guilty and you don't feel bad about it or you don't have shame attached to that but there is a difference between shame and guilt so let's go i wanted to look at this um so the dictionary term of shame is basically a painful emotion right that's caused by a sudden awareness of something that you did that was um foolish so you have this sort of um proprietary morale that's attached to you feeling like okay so this is something that I, I must do in order to get respect. So, or, or, you know, like you just, you did this act and you felt like you had to do that act to get the respect that you needed. So 
so it's attached to more morality. But then you're not feeling any shame towards that behavior. So it's about, you know, can you, when you're sinning, can you still have an emotion where you have this this in a heightened awareness of you feeling shame? Because without feeling guilty or shame, a person will continue on in, in, in certain patterns of behavior that may not be good for them. And so in order for us to eliminate these and it in order for us to sort of extinguish these type of um negative patterns of behavior you have to analyze your negative emotional state you have to identify your negative emotional state and the only way that you can do that is through admitting when you're wrong admitting when you're um you've done something that was you know incorrect or foolish right so we should even though shame isn't something that people are like praising nowadays they're not putting shame on a pedestal like yeah how shameful do you feel today right it isn't something that is um a part of cultural norms right because when you feel shame about something you don't want to like identify it to the entire world like oh i made a mistake when you feel guilty about things, no one is going to shout it at the rooftop that I, I made the biggest mistake of my life and I feel guilty about it, right? So it's like, how are you embracing your ability to progress in life if you are unable to identify where you went wrong? So many of us, we have avoidance personalities, meaning that instead of us tackling um the issues that we identify we avoid them and and continue to believe and live life as if they don't exist for instance like my um i had counseling today and in the counseling i was talking a lot about how i was being self-reflective self-reflective this past couple the past couple of weeks because at first I didn't feel as if I was giving people grace. I wasn't giving some people grace. And so I feel like with me now being able to communicate with certain individuals in my my class, also in my school, um, different professors and stuff, it sort of enhanced my ability to have grace with them, meaning that yes i did i i had some issues with my old chair and he would always say to me you know deanna well i have to help this other student i have to do that and i have to do this and so what i've learned is um throughout this process and with me um continuing on in my education i'm seeing the reason why he needed to help other students and so i should have been giving him grace during that time and yes, I know we, we all have disagreements and it's like, okay, look, I work really hard. It's about me, but that's not how I perceive things. It's so important to always have empathy and you only can really have empathy if you practice emotional intelligence in a way that you have emotional intelligence, meaning that 
um, you can identify the emotions of other people and you try to communicate with them based off of their emotions and um, maintaining that empathetic type of communication is so important. And so it's like sometimes I've noticed that I can also be brutally honest and that brutally honest side of me is something that I'm not embracing anymore like the way that I used to. So I used to love being able to, you know, put people in a place and, you know, just check them or just say, um, well, this is life. Deal with it. You know what I mean? And just move around and just who cares? What is the solution? Why are you focusing on that? So I was really brutally honest. And it really comes from my upbringing and how I was raised. I was been raised around a lot of brutally honest people. And so it's like my attachment to having um you know when you're communicating with individuals that are brutally honest it's kind of hard to sort of maintain um emotional intelligence that leads to empathy and so <laughs> having that not attached to communication many times can really offend people and it can also it, it can create some issues and so i'm learning as i progress and in my studies my academic studies and also in my relationship with god how to be more um, empathetic in situations and also how to create this vulnerability. So I've noticed that in many forms of communication that there is a lack of vulnerability. And so in order for us to have these vulnerable communication efforts maintained in society, we have to first start with being able to talk about the things that have caused us to feel shame and have caused us to feel guilt. For instance, sexual sin, right? I have struggled with this, you know, like um, for some time, right? I like, I was actually celibate for almost two years and then I kind of like relapsed on that. And so my ability to overcome these type of sensations that are internally is something that is attached to me feeling guilty it's like okay now i'm disappointing god because the word of god specifically says that we are to honor honor god with our bodies and so when you're fornicating it doesn't really put you in a position to honor god because that is something that is that doesn't resonate with what the word of god says so i wanted to talk about i wanted to go to a couple of scriptures and um let me let me pull this up okay so i want to go to ezekiel chapter 43 so let's go to ezekiel 43 and um ezekiel 43 10 and 11. okay it says it says, Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel, that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. And if they are ashamed of all they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits and entrances, entrances, its whole design and all its regulations and laws. Write these down before them so that they may be faithful to his design and follow all his regulations. And so this is 
this is a description of the temple of God and how people should feel ashamed when they are not abiding by God's word. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew scrolls. And so this is in Hebrew. So Ezekiel is actually from the Hebrew text of the Bible. And so when we think about this, we understand that the first five books of the Bible, which is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that is called the Torah, right? That is considered the law. Also, it's also called the law. And so this is what God has given us so many different laws. And uh, amongst these laws, there are many provisions. So provisions is basically something that is, something that a person changes like you have you must do this in order to do that so if you are obedient to the word of god then you will receive eternal life if you listen to god and, and you um, receive salvation then you'll get eternal life so like provision is something that you must do in order to get something in return and so god has implemented the torah in order for us to have his laws right but the the issue with the torah mainly is um it did not provide full justification to man's um unwillingness to be obedient to god so we have to understand that um yes we're we're coated in skin which is we're clothed in skin but our bodies inside of us we have a living spirit a living soul and so in the in a part of our living soul and spirit, we are always going to be filled with either good or evil, right? So it doesn't matter how we're clothed because what's internal is what's damaging. So the, the word of God, it tells us this. Let me, let me go to the scripture for a minute. So let's go to Matthew 15, um, verse 11 through 20. I'm going to look at the NIV version. So let me go there. It says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And so what we see here is what's internal is either going to be spring goodness or it's going to spring uh evil and so we see that what's inside of us is always going to want to fulfill itself like when you wake up in the morning you have to feel the need to empty your bladder right all of these things are just a part of your norm this is a norm you have to use the restroom you you must eat you know in order to survive in this world you have to have money in order to pay bills so you, so many different cultural norms specifically american american norms we have to endure and deal with on a day-to-day -day basis but when you think about life within itself you have to think about your choices and what is influencing your choices what is influencing your decisions? So earlier this month, I talked about influences and how everyone is being sold and bought 
and purchased. They are being sold, bought, and purchased with influence. So before you even born, you your parents have all of these influences um, that are going to be presented to you. And, you know, our influence is what's going to be our driving force that navigates us. So, like, for me, I want God to be my navigation system while I drive, right? So what is your navigation system? What is driving you? What is your influence? And so when we think about what's internal, we have to think about what the Word of God says. So what goes into your mouth does not defile you. But what comes out of your mouth, that is what defiles you. So the things that are internally inside of us, these things are what can prevent us from being in the position of where we need to be. And so now I kind of want to look at, we've already analyzed shame, right? So shame is that emotion of um, an action that you made that was wrong or foolish. But let's look at guilt. So the fact of being responsible for an offense that you feel um, caused blame. So the fact of having been found to have violated something, like you violated violated a moral um, principle, you violated a law, you violated someone's feelings, that is guilt. So it's a attachment of an offense that you cause either to yourself or someone else. So these things is something that should we be embracing the guilt that comes with sin? Should we be embracing the guilt that comes with, I'm, I'm sorry, should we be embracing shame that comes with sin? So the number one question to understand is why should I embrace shame and guilt? Why? Why should you embrace shame and guilt? Well, if we're going to analyze the anthropology of, which is the science of, of humans, if we're going to understand the anthropology of guilt and shame, we need to understand how sexual sin and other types of sin is um, causing us to repeat it, have these repeated failures. Um, so we have these internal inconsistencies that is automatic right? An automatic cultural norm or just an automatic norm because of the flesh, because of the desires of the flesh. So should you feel bad when you are doing something wrong? Do I feel bad when I'm wrong? Do I feel guilty? Do I I feel Yes, I I do. And it's like, I keep, you know, thinking about it over and over again. It's like, okay, so. I still have the desire that's there. So I have a sexual intimacy, right? It's like, oh, I want this sexual. But how do we overcome these? If they're always constant, sometimes they're constant. Sometimes they're they're like slowly releasing in our lives and in our thoughts. And so we we need to be able to look at guilt. I was wrong. 
So I'm not going to avoid this feeling of guilt because I need to experience this conviction on my heart in order for me to understand what it means to not continue on in these repeated failures. So I have a video and I actually have a couple videos and I'm sure that I, I may not get through this today, but um, I thought it was really important because many of us, you know, we go through things in life and it's it's kind of difficult to overcome these, um, the thoughts, right? Your thoughts of failure. It's like, I don't want to feel like I failed. Like I worked so hard. It's like, no. Like when I talked about going to counseling, I feel like God is bringing me into a place of how, you know, like a butterfly, a caterpillar, a caterpillar, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly's metamorphosis. That's what it's called. And I feel like I'm transforming into like this process from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Because it's like my mind really is like my mind was like really focused on the things of of fulfilling these desires but it's like when you mess up when i mess up specifically myself when i'm messing up on my own how do i continue to go on and, and it's like god is saying look you keep moving you keep going and you keep inspiring you're not going to wake up every day without flaw. And remember what perfect means. Perfect is in a strong concordance, it is Strong's number A535. That's the number. The word is the, the Hebrew word tam, which is T-A-M. It means to be mature in nature and in thought. So perfect means to be mature. So if I am to maintain this maturity with God, I must also maintain this maturity in my failures. And so God is like really like elevating my mind to a point where it's, I'm seeing myself and my action that will lead me to doing things that causes failure. And not just my relationship with God, but also in other aspects of my life, right? So, for instance, like with school, school is um, a part of my lifestyle. Some people feel like their jobs are their, you know, that's like your second home. That's your, that's your complete full lifestyle. You don't have time for anything else besides work. And so that's just your life right now. It's just work, work, work. But see, it's like God has been adjusting my um my perspectives for a while and so when it comes to work like let me give you an analogy so one thing about me is that i will not work overtime i do not work overtime when i'm working i've dedicated a certain amount of time that you can tap into my time before i feel like now you're violating my time so I can give you everything that you need in the in a job four days a week, five days a week. But I'm not gonna give you any more of that, more than that. I'm gonna over exceed goals within that time. 
because I'm going to produce results, achieve results. There's a difference between, you know, um, exceeding goals and over exceeding goals. So how how effective are you? Are you just effective or do you have a combination of effectiveness and efficiency? Because you can be effective, but not efficient. Not effective and efficient. So, you know, how are you working? And so for me, I think that in order for us to sort of salient um, above and like leap over exceedingly, abundantly, above all of our goals, not just making it at, at level, but over exceeding your goals, we have to be able to recognize ourselves. And it's always about having self-reflexivity and um, allowing God to shape our hearts in a way where we can say, okay, I feel shame and I feel guilty. I was wrong for sin, sexual sin. Right. And so how do I proceed now, God? I still have these desires or I still have these feelings inside of me. It's about, you know, you taking that that leap into making sure that you can still do the right thing, but admit when you're wrong. See I talked about let me let me use this as an analogy, right? So recently I spoke about Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton and I believe it I forgot the guy's name in Tennessee, but he was he's a uh in the House of Representatives. I think his name was Tim or something like that. Let me let me give credit where credit is due. So let me take this moment to look him up. Okay, so his name was, uh, let's see, I have it right here. Um, his name is Representative Steve Cohen. He's a Democrat from Tennessee. So Bill Clinton and Representative Steve Cohen. Cohen, okay, I just, I'm saying it in the country sound pronunciation. So it should be Steve Cohen. Um. He apologized for slavery and Bill Clinton apologized for slavery. So I talked about how specifically slavery has not just impacted the African-American um, population, but it's also impacted all people, all races. And the reason why is because, see, we as a society have to collectively endure other people that have that that maintains racism in society we all collectively have to endure individuals that continue to be prejudiced and individuals that continue to discriminate and individuals that continue to pass legislative laws that create these enormous disparities in society right so you got all these disparities because of these laws that are in place. If the laws didn't, if, if these repugnant laws didn't exist, mean 
meaning that this will not continue to happen in society because we'll have a Congress that has the right type of representation that is that has equal representation for people. See, right now our Congress system is comprised of many of individuals that are of the silent period or baby boomers that are 65 and older. So that's majority of Congress right now. But when we think about having the right type of representation for everyone, equal representation. So uh, individuals that are Gen Z's and also millennials and Gen X, you know, individuals, that will provide proper representation in Congress. So you have representatives that can speak for each type of age group, you know? Um, age age um, barriers really do impact perspective. So let's think about this for a second. Bill Clinton, he's the only president that apologized for slavery. So he did something that his peers never could even admit to. The acknowledgement of slavery was something that was well overdue. And it also was ignored by many um, proceedings of presidents before him. So when we think about it took that long for a president to apologize for something that has clearly caused some um, mental health implications in the minority community. So acknowledgement is the first step into transparency and also in the ability to maintain a journey that's going to empower you. So if you don't acknowledge that there is a problem, if you don't admit to a problem being um, existing in your life, then you'll never have a need to change it. And so this is important. This is why acknowledging the guilt and shame that is associated with our behaviors allows us to sort of um, transcribe these behaviors and patterns into something that will, you know, trans. It, it, it allows us to have transformation. But you don't reach transformation without acknowledgement. So you got to have acknowledgement, then you embrace it, and then you transform, okay? And so let's look at, I wanted to look at this video. So um, this is a 11-minute, about 11-minute video. And this is, um, this is from the channel Purpose and Purity. Is sex and the single girl Bible study. Okay. It talks about are you struggling with sexual sin? In this video, widely known clinical uh, psychologist Dr. Julie Slattery shares about God's forgiveness and how you can overcome the guilt and shame of sexual sin. And so I want to um, play this video. Now I'm going to do just some commentating afterwards. I'm not going to do it while she's speaking. So I'm just going to let the video play. In the meantime, if you have any questions, um, please go ahead and put them in the chat and I'll be able to review them there and then I'll just respond as needed. But in the meantime, um, just 
please chime into the video write down any notes or anything um that you any reflections that you have and if you generate a question from it just go ahead and write it down and then we can discuss it afterwards if not that's fine too you can just go ahead and put it on the blog and put it in the comment section okay so i'm going to play this video like i said it's about 11 minutes long and i'll do commentating afterwards with sexual sin in this video widely known psychologist dr julie slattery shares about god's forgiveness and how you can overcome the guilt and shame of sexual sin welcome to the life before eternity channel my name is nia titania page i am the founder of lifebeforeeternity.com where i help women embrace a lifestyle of faith by teaching them spiritual habits that lead to wholeness in christ if you want more content like today's video, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that you can get updated when we have more content put out. Now, in today's video, I interview Dr. Julie Slattery. She is the co-founder of Authentic Intimacy and a Moody Radio personality. Today, she shares with us about God's forgiveness and how to overcome the guilt and shame of our past sexual sin or sexual trauma. How does the enemy use our secret, our sexual secrets against us? How would you say he uses those against us? Well, you know, the first thing, um, going back to what I just said, is we got to recognize that the end goal of the enemy is to separate us from God. Um, you know, I don't think the enemy really cares that much about our sex life, but what he cares about is keeping us distant from fellowship with God because he knows the power of somebody who really is serving the Lord and really loves God. You know, I mean, a man or a woman who's completely surrendered to God um, can, can do great harm to the enemy. Um, so he'll use sexual sin and sexual shame um, to make us feel like uh, we can never be used by the Lord, um, that God doesn't want us. Uh, that God can never really forgive us, you know, that we always have to kind of walk with a cloud over our heads and, um, you know, God, God really can't redeem us completely. Um, and then he also uses sexual sin, um, you know, as something that can disqualify us, um, you know, from like ministry. You hear all the time, um, you know, stories of people that you and I know that we trust, that uh, we respect, and they fall into sexual sin. And it really blemishes their ministry, but it also blemishes the name of Christ in the world where people are like, well, you know, pastors are no different. They look at porn, they sleep around, you know, so why should I put my faith in God? And so he'll use our sexual choices to discredit um, the name of God in our world. Wow. I really love the way you, you highlighted how your sexual choices are spiritual choices, and those choices not only affect you yourself they affect you know the people around you they have they affect other christians who might be following you looking up to you they affect the ministry and they can affect the way people uh understand the lord or or, or receive the faith or you know per, the their perspective on our faith so while i really love the way you highlighted it, it's not just a choice that affects us but it affects those outer circles and that those spheres of influence that we have that was really good. I also want to ask you a question about, I know personally for myself, um, when we have these sexual secrets, 
maybe we have an understanding that God can forgive us, but sometimes, and I don't think this is like biblical, but how can we, like, how can you, what would you say to someone who is having a hard time forgiving themselves? You know, obviously we don't have the ability to forgive our own sins. Only God has it. When we sin, we sin against the Lord. But what would you say to that person who has a hard time forgiving themselves and really receiving the, 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 the gift of forgiveness that Christ gives us? Yeah, um, really good question. You know, there are a couple a couple things that I would want to bring up in a conversation like that. And one of them is recognizing that forgiveness uh, isn't a feeling. You know, a woman in that situation will often say, I don't feel forgiven. You know, I still have all this guilt about what I've done. And, uh, and then I'll ask her the question, have you confessed that before the Lord? And she'll say yes. Do you remember when you confessed it? And she'll remember a date and a time. And then I'm uh, looking at, you know, again, the book of First John, you know, it says if we confess our sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the question becomes, do you believe that? And she'll say, well, yeah, I believe that for my friend, but I have a hard time believing that for me. Um, and, you know, what I want to help her understand is just because you don't feel forgiven, that doesn't mean that you're not forgiven. I mean, forgiveness is a fact. It's placing our trust in what God's Word said that, that Jesus is able to do. Um, it's not, I feel better. Um, and then also recognizing that Satan is called, in the book of Revelation, he's called the accuser of brethren. And that one of the things he does to get at us is he accuses us. He brings up Pass in, you know, he tells you lies like, um, what you did was so horrible. God would never forgive it. Um, you know, you're forever marred. Um, you can't be redeemed. And so when we begin believing that we've got to recognize we're actually not honoring God. We're believing the enemy. Um, and when, when I won't forgive myself, it's really because I have a works based view of God. Like that I have to earn his love back by making myself feel miserable, um, by sabotaging myself, um, by even going to the extreme of cutting or an eating disorder to prove to God that I hate myself for what I did. And that is so contrary to the gospel message that um, sometimes we just need to go back to the basics of what the Bible says, that there's nothing we can do to earn God's love or forgiveness. Um, he, God is most pleased when we just receive the free gift that he's given us instead of fighting him against it. Man, that is so good. I love two things that you said. Number one, that forgiveness is a fact. So true. I, I have experienced that myself, like wanting to feel forgiven. Like I wish that when I got God's forgiveness that my skin turned purple or something like that. So I <laughs> knew, you know, but that is so good. Yeah. Yes. 
forgiveness is not a feeling. It's, it's trusting God in his word. And that's a part of, you know, what faith is. Just receiving through faith that Christ has made us clean and washed us of our sins. That's so good. And then I loved also what you said, going back to the basics. I think so many times we feel like once we're saved, the gospel is now just for unbelievers. But no, we need the gospel too. Every day we need the gospel. Every day we need the gospel. And so that's so good. I want to ask you one final question. Like, How do women struggling with guilt, regret, and shame concerning their past sins or sexual trauma move forward? I think sometimes, um, a lot of times we assume and i know but i've assumed just based on my own personal experience or just watching somebody else just seeing from afar like thinking that person is just acting out sexually because that's what they want never thinking that perhaps some sexual trauma could have provoked this kind of like lifestyle or interest in those things so how do those women move forward yeah um you know you're so right when you, uh, you say that a lot of times we, we're acting out of our pain and our shame. And so, uh, you know, very often, uh, when I meet a woman who, you know, has continual sexual partner after sexual partner after sexual partner, it goes back to some wound. Um, you know, it's, uh, sexual abuse, it's abandonment by a father. Uh, and underneath that, that wound is our lies, you know, lies like, only way I can ever be loved by a man is to give my body. Um, that sort of thing that Satan really, again, uses to get us caught in lifestyles that are really self-destructive. Um, so the first thing I would just say is you've got to bring it into the light. You know, I think a lot of us, because this topic can be so painful and remembering the ways we've been hurt uh, is so difficult, we just want to tell ourselves, you know, the past is in the past. I don't need to go there. Um, you know, why, why dig all that up? Um, but what we don't realize is that when we keep those wounds and that shame and the darkness, it really begins to influence the choices that we make today. Um, and so, you know, I have never, ever, ever met somebody who has healed and hiding, you know, gone through healing by keeping secrets. You know, healing also always, always, always requires just even talking to one other person and just saying, you know, I've never really shared this with anybody, but, you know, growing up, I was abused by my dad. Uh, or, you know, I was exposed to pornography when I was like five years old, and it's really impacting me even today. Um, so it starts with that kind of honesty and just and just saying, hey, Lord, uh, would you bring people into my life that would show me uh, what the steps of healing are because I want to be set free. Man, that's so good. I really love that phrase you said, that there's no healing in hiding, that you can't find healing when you're hiding, that you really have to come out and find that, that person that you trust, that person that can point you to uh, gospel truth, biblical truth, and help you um, through that. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed today's interview, then you're going to love Dr. Slatery's new book, Sex in the Single Girl. Click the link in the description below to check it out for yourself and to learn more about what it means to honor God with our sexuality. As always, God bless, and don't forget to live Christ out loud. So that was just so nice. I really like that video. So um, let's discuss some of the main points that I can remember and I wrote down here. So 
um the number one thing is god some people feel that god can redeem them completely so let's talk about that point god is the one that can redeem us he is our redeemer he is our god let's go to isaiah 53 and 5. so it says but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our inequities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed so remember that you know sometimes when you're in sin it's like okay so i don't feel that i have been redeemed from this i don't feel that god can you know um has god completely forgiven me if i i keep doing the same thing over and over again and it's like okay so have god really redeemed me from this so we could just go back to the reflection and understand that he was pierced for our transgression the punishment that brought us peace was on him so not feeling that sense of completeness completeness or redemption is a lie that's not from god so we have to just keep staying the course and just keep striving even when we're making mistakes we still have to keep including god because guess what we understand that perfect just means to be mature in hebrew we are understanding god's word through hebrew and also in greek so we see that we are being mature so the more and more we grow and understand what god's requirement is and how we can resist our temptations and resist our pleasures and desires we only can have that through the redemption of god so another thing that they said that she said was forgiveness is not a feeling so we we attach this feeling of okay so god did god forgive me you know i don't feel like god forgives have forgiven me but forgiveness is not a feeling i wanted to to speed ahead and go by what um what this the other lady said she said that when she received god's forgiveness she wished she could have turned purple to remind her that she was forgiven so many times we're going to go through this walk in life where we may not be able to see the things that we need to to know but we know that god has been there for us for instance, well, each time God saves you from something, each time God deliver, deliver you, it is him that is doing it. When God is providing opportunity for you, when, when you thought you couldn't get the job, but you did get the job, that was God intervening on your behalf. When you thought you couldn't have the child, you had the baby because guess what? God intervened in your prayer. That was God responding to your faith. So God responds to our faith. He responds to us. He gives us redemption. He provides us with peace, right? So she wanted to, she wanted, she wished she could have turned purple as a reminder that she was forgiven. But like, it's, it's like some it's so difficult sometimes like when you're and you're battling it's like a war it's like this spiritual war 
that you feel like, okay, I want to fulfill my desires. I want to fulfill my pleasures, right? But what God wants us to see is that, you know, when you repent, he is forgiving and he will redeem us. It's the point that sometimes when we feel that we're not forgiving, then we'll keep doing the same thing. It's like, okay, so I don't feel like God has forgiven me. I might as well just, you know, well, I'm not going to have sex during the week, but I'll have sex on the weekend. Like it's something so special or different about the week compared to the weekend. Sin is sin. Like, okay, we, we had sex on the weekend. We had sex this month. It's still the same. If you having sex on during the week, so it's like when when you feel that you're not redeemed, you continue to do the same thing over and over again. The reason why I'm saying that is because I'm talking about myself, and it it steady brings me back to Galatians with Paul, and when Paul talks about, he says, "I want to do good." So let's let's go to the, I want to focus on Paul for a second in Galatians. It says, um, is this in Galatians? Oh, I thought I thought it was in Galatians. I thought it was in Let me see. I thought this was in Galatians. This is not this is not it. Hold on one second. I'm gonna pull this picture up. Yes, and um in Romans. Let me go back to Romans. So it says right here in Romans chapter 7, verse 19 through 25, it says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. See, and this this goes back to, you know, reflecting back to what is internal. Like what's internal in us, our internal inconsistencies. Is something that really disallows us from progression. And so we have to combat these internal inconsistencies that we're having in life. But the only way to do that is we have to look at the guilt that is attached to our sin. And we have to say, okay, so because I made this mistake, and are you someone who is trying to feel forgiven you don't do you feel like you've been forgiven or do you know that god has forgiven you so it's like when you know god has forgiven you that's all you need to focus on forgiveness is not a feeling and she talked about how satan is an accuser so satan is an accuser and when Satan accuses you, well, you've done this and you've done that. And so this is something that you've done. You sexually sinned. And then you keep sexually sinning because you 
feel that you haven't been forgiven. So what God wants us to do is to forgive ourselves. And it, it's so hard. It is very, very difficult for me to, like, um, I guess, fully, fully talk about this because of mistakes that I've made and also the guilt that I have attached to certain sins, right? And also the shame that I have. It's like, okay, how do I give advice to others when I'm going through this experience? So it's like, okay, well, wait, I am going through this experience and I'm telling you the way that I'm working it out in my experience right now. Because the only way that I know how to do is to make sure that God is still included. I have to keep chasing God and keep going after his word. It's not about me feeling pity or saying, okay, I messed up and I'm wrong. So let me just not feel forgiven and keep doing the same thing. So we cannot earn God's love back, right? Forgiveness is a fact that comes from God. So we have to forgive ourselves. And so she said that healing requires talking to another person. And this seems like this is legitimate. This is something that is valid. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Thank you all so much for holding. Okay. So she says that healing requires talking to another person. So I know that many of us 
have kind of felt like counseling isn't something that should be talked about in our house or counseling is not something that you need or what she needs or what anybody needs because God is our counselor. But see, God says in, a, it says in the word that faith without works is dead. So yes, we do have faith in God, but God also wants us to have companionship. So we should be able to communicate with other people. We should confess our sins to each other. Actually, let's let's look at that scripture. James 5 and 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's the NIV version. The New Living Translation says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The King James Bible says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The Amplified Bible says, therefore, confess your sins to one another your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or believer is able to accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. I love the, I love the description of the Amplified Bible in this um, verse, James 5 and 16. Specifically saying your false steps, your offenses, your steps that you're taking that is creating these offenses, your steps. So how do you create this authentic intimacy, right, where you're able to also please God, right? Um, and so we do that by being obedient to God's word. So... I wanted to look at, there is actually an article. I want to look at an article and I also want to look at another um, another video, okay? So this, this article has been published by Mary Vandenberg out of the Christian Scholars Review. The title is Shame, Guilt, and the Practice of Repentance, an Intersection of Modern Psychology with the Wisdom of Calvin. Okay, so the Calvin, Calvinism is not something that I really support at all. Um, but what the way that I look at life is this way, okay? Um, we're always supposed to withdraw the positives right and apply those principles even if it's coming from people that we don't always agree with so calvinism is an ideology that believes that um god has already predestined everyone in his kingdom so he knows exactly who everyone is going to be um and 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 so god only works with his children that are to be basically right 
So let me give you the exact definition of Calvinism. It's not Calvinism is not like a prominent religion, but it is something that many people do practice. And so Calvinism is basically like this uh, reformed Christianity, but it, it refers to so um, like part of the branch of Protestant, uh, 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 what is it? What am I saying here? I'm speaking too fast. Sometimes I'll be talking too fast. Protestants. Okay. So it's a domination of Protestantism that basically um, have these traditions, these theological traditions that people have predestined salvation. So it's a predestination. They have this predestined belief that God has already predestined these particular people. Um, so I would say that Calvinism is an approach that actually can cause somewhat division amongst, you know, the believers in Christ, the, the servants of God. And so in order for us to fully, you know, minimize these religious practices, we have to understand that religion is something that causes confusion. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say that again. Religion is it religion causes confusion. And see, God isn't a God of confusion. So there are many different theological practices that really causes confusion amongst um, God's children and also to unbelievers. So let me just sort of redefine, you know, what being a servant of God is. So a servant of God is basically someone who believes and acknowledges everything that the Bible says. God is not going to cause us any confusion. So if your religion is causing confusion and you're, you know, continuing to practice in this type of behaviors because, oh, because of this word that you're using, predestination, right? It's the predestination of, of believers. So they believe that God has chosen these predestined people. So you're gonna you're gonna practice a belief system that will disallow believers to enter into the kingdom because of this one belief system that God is predestining everyone into His kingdom. So, like I said, God isn't a God of confusion, and religion is something that really um, causes confusion. So, this is wisdom of Calvin. Um, Basically, I'm thinking that this is part of Calvinism, but we're going to look at the positive aspects of this and then we can reflect on that. So I wanted to go over some of the points, the main points in the article. So um, and then I'll, I'll just show the next video. OK, so. Once again, this is um, out of Christian Scholars Review. The title is Shame, Guilt, and the Practice of Repentance, an Intersection of Modern Psychology with the Wisdom of Calvin. So um, the intersection, the title of this particular um, piece is intersection. So when we think of intersectionality, we have to think about, um, hold on one second.
So when we think about intersectionality, we have to think about uh, what I'm trying to think of this lady's name. She's a, a great philosopher. She came out with this intersectionality approach in 1989. But I'm trying to think of her name. And I don't know why her name is like right there, but I can't think of it. Her name is, um, let me see, Crenshaw, Kimberly uh, Crenshaw. That's her name. So she came out with this paper in 1989 from the University of Chicago, um, intersectionality. So when you think of intersectionality, think of the X and Y axis of why something is intersecting. So why students fail in school? I'm, I'm sorry, I can say, why do students participate in crime? And so the, that's the X axis. The Y axis is they they are participating in crime because of a low education level. So we see that there's a correlation between crime and education. So when we're looking at the intersectionality of anything in life, you're always going to look at the X and Y axis. It's kind of like, okay, so why did this happen? In, how is this intersection? It's like the intersection of a street. This is causing this to happen. So A is causing B to happen. And that is how we look at intersectionality. But when it comes to like the full focus of intersectionality, that can be defined in many different ways. And so many people say that intersectionality is like a feminist type of mythology, but it isn't, right? It really is a mythology that examines the relationships amongst different types of um, uh, dimensions or different types of precursors, for instance, education and crime. So we have this intersectionality of the belief in God and also shame and guilt. So since we're analyzing anthropology, which is basically the study of humans, the science of studying humans. And we're looking at shame and guilt. So we're looking at the X axis is anthropology, the Y axis is shame and guilt. So how does human, the science of studying humans, impact anthropology with shame and guilt, basically? Okay, so let's look at this article. Shame and guilt are important concepts within Christian theology. This is how it starts off. Now, I want to mention that the word Christian in the Bible is mentioned twice, um, actually in two different verses. So it is a sort of a ref, ref, um, it is a reformed type of word, um, a modernized form, um, a modernized word, um, which means Christian means to be Christ-like. So it is just basically a way to incorporate Christ into your life by saying Christian or Christianity. So there are many people that call themselves uh, Christians that are not practicing servitude in Christ, right? So the, the, the way that this is happening is, for instance, you have um, many people that may uh, support polygamy, for instance. And we we see that polygamy is something that is not something that is good, right? 
And although we see this in the Bible, we see that there was a lot of polygamy that was going on. But look at the things that happened with the polygamy. You see, you see how, you know, Sarah, she gets her, um, her servant to have to sleep with Abraham. Then she has a child. She names him Ishmael. But think about like every single time there's polygamy involved, there is some problems attached to that polygamy. But there are many people that call themselves Christians, but also support these polytheistic type of uh, behaviors. And we see that in the Roman Catholic Church. We also see that in um, some parts of uh, Calvinist beliefs. And um, with paganism, so when when paganism is supported in society, that is that's a polytheistic type of belief um, that isn't monotheistic. And so we need to be analyzing the Word of God from from a from an exegesis type of perspective. So exegesis is looking at the Word of God in a way we just analyze it for what it says. We read exactly what the Word says and eisegesis is the study of the word of god by forming your opinion so we're not opinionated we're really driven off of the facts of the bible and what the word of god is saying and so we studying and looking at these different approaches to believing in god you want to make sure that you're looking at the word of god in such a way where you're analyzing it through hermeneutics and that is the study of the word of god through exegesis okay and so this um this article which is part of calvinism once again this is an approach that really places emphasis on god predestining people for a specific um election to salvation and so um the first instance here shame and guilt are important concepts within christian theology so like i said christian is a reformed word um, it's, it's been modernized to fit the description of what many people would like to consider themselves as being Christ-like. Um, so we also see that there is evidence-based psychological research on the topics of shame and guilt. And this has sort of flourished within the last 30 years. We see that um, shame is a topic pretty much associated in theology. It is reformed theology, okay, um, simply because it was studied by Herman Bobnick, which is an, um, Bobnick deals briefly with shame in the context of original sin. So when we think about the fall of man and how their eyes were open, um, Bobnick sees a correlation between the nakedness and their shame. So I, I like to look at the Bible from that way. You're you're diving deep into the Word of God. Um, you really don't want to deviate too much from what the actual Scripture says, because then you'll be leading into eisegesis, and we don't study the Word of God based upon our opinions or what we think, right? Um, so this article continues to express the contrasting ideas of theology which another one here is um, the psychological research dealing with the effects of shame on human relationships have proliferated over the last 30 years. So in this recent book called Daring Greatly, um, Dr. Brene Brown had brought some empirical uh, research 
um basically her work had included um some understanding of the distinction between guilt and shame and how it is um how the toxicity of shame have on interpersonal relationships so just analyzing this so by contrast we see that in some of the same study guilt turns out to have relatively positive effects in one's life and relationships and guilt it seems as less than part is good for you so as i started this conversation off right guilt and shame is should be something that we all can embrace because if we're not analyzing ourselves we're not acknowledging what is really happening in the world specifically how bill clinton he had to apologize for slavery it had never been acknowledged amongst any of his other peers why why is that you know so we need to be looking at those type of things it's because of the lack of acknowledgement the lack of admitting when we're wrong and when we're guilty about things is like guilt should not equate to you abandoning change don't forsake change just because you're guilty so sometimes guilt can be a motivator for us to continue doing the wrong thing guilt and shame is the motivator to say okay well i might as well just keep doing it i might as well so looking at you know the advantages of staying doing the same thing over and over and over again it's like you're having this emotional disconnect from your ability to repent so we have these uh disconnects emotional disconnects from repentance true repentance because repent actually means to turn away so let me let me look at let, let's look at this for a second so it's like we mess up right we do mess up we do we do um okay so we look at the hebrew root of repent so the hebrew word most often translated as repentance is called teshuva teshuva it is the root word is shu which means turning back um so we find this word first used in genesis 3:19, which sets the tone for the word um to return back to his original space so in genesis 3 and 19 it says by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for but of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return so we see that the original the original part here is saying that turning away we we need to turn turn back to its original so when we repent what we are actually doing is we're 
needing to turn back to our original goodness, turning back to who God created us to be, turning back to the things that God wants us to do. So that's what repent means. It means to turn back, turn away from sin, turn back to God, basically, right? So um, let's look at, I wanted to, let me see. Okay. So we go back to this article. The article talks about how we should understand um, shame and guilt. And that's in the way that we understand shame and guilt, we need to begin by understanding our sin. So your sin, as Dr. Uh, Slattery stated, sin should not be, uh, forgiveness is not a feeling. You have to forgive yourself. Quit thinking that God can't redeem you completely. So in order for you to understand God, you have to understand that his forgiveness is a fact. So God forgives us completely. Even when we have these repeated failures. So we need to turn back to the original goodness, who what, what God has created us to be. So I want to look at some parts of the article where it talks about place emphasis on guilt. So let's look at this. It says guilt. If psychology classifies guilt as an emotion, specifically a moral emotion. According to June Tagney and Rhonda Deering, moral emotions are classified as such because they presumably play a key role in fostering normal moral behavior. So what they're saying, okay, so as an emotion, guilt is something that we feel as human persons given various circumstances. But emotions do not involve only a sex or a feeling. They also involve cognition so when you think about cognition that's like our development right um we have so much cognitive dissonance for instance when we think about psychology and cognitive dissonance it is basically a, a discomfort of two different types of thoughts that contradict each other so you are clashing internally with your own ideas your own beliefs and your knowledge on something that's all cognitive dissonance is but the problem is is that we all have battled this cognitive dissonance in life because who hasn't clashed with their ideas and beliefs and knowledge on things who have not done that for instance you've chosen the wrong person in the relationship before or you chose to like the wrong girl, or you chose to like the wrong guy. 
because you know like you had these clashing ideas like okay this person is awesome for me but their spiritual beliefs were off whack but you know for a fact that your knowledge is telling you that they are a sweet person so everyone has experienced cognitive dissonance whether or not we choose to admit to our see people are so quick to talk about their rights and their um accomplishments and their successes but when do we begin to analyze our failures our mistakes our guilt and the shame so in order for us to be fully empowered we can't be like the united states and wait decades to give an apology for slavery that really has impacted the mental health of the entire country so avoidance doesn't equate to progress progression so we can't have these avoidance personalities because avoidance is only going to allow disallow us from progressing in our journey so if i'm guilty of this sin i am still going to go to god and say god i messed up i'm having these this clash of beliefs. So cognitive dissonance should actually be a part of every single believer that is transforming their mind. You're going to have these clash of ideas and belief systems. Everyone has had it. You've chosen the wrong person to roommate with. You've chosen the wrong job. You continue to stay in the wrong relationship, even after knowing you should have left. So fostering these type of foolish ideologies, sometimes it really, really creates a contradiction in our own mental accord. And so if God is going to be the navigation system for our ability to transform then we have to distinguish our moral emotions that is preventing us from moving forward. So if you ignore the guilt, if you ignore the shame, then you ultimately saying, okay, it is okay for me to continue on in this experience that is creating these negative emotional responses. So as, as Dr. Slattery had talked about, she says that sometimes it can often lead to people eating or cutting disorders. Now, I don't know anyone personally that have, you know, had any eating or cutting disorders, but I've worked with people. And when I was working in a shelter who had this, there were several people that had these types of disorders. Well, every time they made a mistake, they wanted to self cause self-harm to themselves. So it is because they feel like they can't do better in society. 
they're not dealing with the cognitive dissonance that they're that everyone has experienced so cognitive dissonance is is very um is very common in society some people don't acknowledge it as often just like slavery wasn't acknowledged acknowledged for many decades So we have to think about some of the things that contribute to these cognitive disorders, avoidance. So we shouldn't be avoiding things. We need to tackle them head on, right in front of us. So emotions can be wrong, something wrong, even when no violations of God's law has occurred. For example, a young person could feel guilt for telling her friend's parents that landed her friend in rehab. But most people would argue that what this young person did was morally right in keeping with the command to love one's neighbor. But the emotion that this person feels is real. So they're, they're basically feel guilt for even mentioning anything that was in violation. Another example is, um, so, so now I'm gonna just leave with that example. So when we think about, when we think about how we avoid our own shames and guilt, that is something that does not allow us to move forward. It continues to keep you in this state of cognitive disowning. And why should you continue to clash your ideas and beliefs when God has given us redemption? So we should be embracing the things that allow us to change. So if you avoid shame and you avoid guilt, and you continue to do the same thing that is causing you to feel like emotional numbness. For instance, you're still staying in this same sinful relationship that really makes you unhappy. And it's also defiling your body before God because of fornication. So it's like, okay, well, see, now I fornicated. Is God really forgiving me for this? Is God forgiving me for fornicating because I wanted to fulfill my desires and my pleasures? But then I say, okay, so what about your pleasures and desires that most bothers you in your relationship with God? See, we should be bothered by doing things that interfere with our relationship with God. So how, how is it that my desires and my pleasures were centered on these desires? Why, why, can't, why can't it be focused on the desire and will to please God instead of the desire and will to please self?
Well, it's obvious, right? Because Satan is the accuser. And so when we allow our mind, see, let's, I want to go to two different scriptures and then I'm going to end on that note tonight because I'm almost at the two hour mark. So, um, so we see in, um, and there are quite a few different Bible verses. So I'm no, I want to go to the one that Dr. Uh, Slattery had mentioned in Revelation 12 and 10. It says, um, in Revelation 12 and 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. So Satan actually accuses God's children day in and day out. The accuser of our brethren. This is Revelation 12 and 10. The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down he who accuses them before our god day and night so if your mind is hold on i want to go to another scripture here we're gonna go to um romans 12 and 2 it's, but wait, I want to pull it up on Bible Hub so I can look at the different translations here. So Romans 12 and 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the NIV version. The New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The King James Bible says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Amplified Bible says, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. I like the way it says that. Don't be conformed to the superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So you see, that is the Amplified Bible really, really gives a very, very accurate definition. I actually am starting to love the Amplified Bible. I know I've said this several different times, but I've been studying the New Living Translation. And I'm, I like the New Living Translation, too. And I know that a lot of people are really getting into starting to read the New Living Translation. They also like to read the, which one is this? Another, um, I think it was called, what is it called? Uh, 
I forget the it started with an S. I think it's called let me let me look here. Give me one second. It was this other scripture here. Let's see. Other version. It's called, I don't know how I can't pull it up. Um, it's not that one. Oh, that's, that's it. It's called the New Life Version. So the New Life Version is similar to the New Living Translation. And so I've been studying the New Living Translation. And, um specifically more placing more emphasis on the new the new international version but i really do love the amplified bible and i, I think i'm going to start studying it right after i'm done with the new living translation so going back here to all of this i wanted to show a short video this video um is eight minutes long and i really really do love her um, reflection on so many things. I'm always listening to a lot of her uh, content. And so I'm going to just play this. This is a video by Therapy in a Nutshell. Okay. So you can sign up, sign, um, subscribe to that channel, Therapy in a Nutshell, How to Stop the Shame Spiral. Am I a Bad Person? Shame versus Guilt. Okay, this is important, but it's pretty straightforward. When you make a mistake, you have two choices, shame or guilt. So let's say you hurt someone you really care about. Guilt says, oh, what I did was wrong. I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. There's something wrong with me. So let's say you flirt with your ex on the internet while you're in a committed relationship. Your girlfriend finds out, you have a huge fight. In this case, Shame doesn't look like drooping your head, it looks like hot shame. Maybe you scream and yell about what she does wrong too. You blame her for snooping, for being oversensitive, for overreacting, and then storm out of the apartment and drive off. But as you do, deep down, you feel like a loser. Like you'll never be lovable because you're such an F-up. You don't want to see anyone, you don't want to talk to anyone because you're ashamed of what you did. Or you know that you'll never be happy because you screw up so much. And then you head to the bar to be alone and drown your pain. This is a shame response. Shame says you're a complete screw up and you'll never have a good relationship. Guilt says, I messed up, I need to fix this. Now, deep down you know you messed up. Deep down you value being honest, being faithful, and you know what you did was wrong. So let's imagine this conversation goes differently. Your girlfriend catches you flirting with other girls on the internet. What would honestly facing your guilt look like? Maybe saying something like, I messed up. I'm so sorry. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to keep learning and get help so I can figure out how to stop doing this. Can we go to therapy together? How have I hurt you? Let me validate how awful this must feel for you. Now, this isn't manipulation. This shouldn't be manipulation. It should be taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. Remember how pure emotions serve a function? The emotion of guilt can be motivating. It motivates us to make repairs. I will apologize. I will change. I'll try not to do this again. 
the lie of shame tells you that your behavior is a permanent identity. I'm just a failure. I'll never be lovable. Shame is, is paralyzing because it distorts reality and it tells you that what you did wrong comes from some unchangeable aspect of yourself, that you're broken and defective, that you're damaged beyond repair. Shame leads to defensiveness, trying to cover up what you've done or just giving up. Shame is a very subtle form of avoidance. It's your super smart brain trying to squirm its way out of responsibility by saying that you had no choice because you're just a bad person. But shame is a lie. It's a distortion. Shame can lead to self-punishment, withdrawal, blowing up relationships, and destructive behaviors like drug use. On the other hand, guilt, and I'm not talking about exaggerated guilt due to impossible standards, but honest guilt can actually help improve relationships. For an addict in recovery, feeling guilt can be a sign that you're going through a healthy recovery process by owning your behaviors and trying to change them. Okay, let's do another example. Let's say you're the manager of a marketing team and you've got some serious challenges coming up. You're under a lot of pressure from upper management to get performance. So in a meeting, you find out that one of your team didn't complete the task they were supposed to. And, and you just lose it. You blow up at them. You chew them out in public. Everyone goes quiet. The meeting goes stale. You tell everyone to get back to work and to get their jobs done. But then you head back to your office and you know you messed up. Shame says, you're just not a good manager. You'll just never be successful. No one likes you because you're such an idiot. Why couldn't you keep your cool and handle it like Bob does? Everyone likes him because he doesn't get so uptight. So you think you know wigs. Do you really? First up, we've got shame. Shame says, uh, you should just quit or change jobs or just stop trying to have a good relationship and rule like a tyrant. Shame's message is, you're just not a good person, so you might as well stop trying and withdraw. Guilt would say, dang, I messed up. I need to apologize. And then you need to try to make repairs. You work on yourself, apologize, manage your stress better, set better boundaries, use more clear expectations and outcomes when people don't perform as expected. Now, can you see how taking responsibility is so much work compared to shame? Shame feels like self-righteous self-punishment. It feels a little vindicating, but it's really just a sneaky way to evade responsibility for your actions, for the work it takes to make repairs. And shame leads to lost opportunities, cutting yourself off from others, drug use to numb the pain. It leads to low self-esteem and in general, just not growing. It's just wallowing in a pool of self-loathing. So what to do? Here are three steps to letting go of shame. Learn to identify it, face it, and take responsibility. So first, get good at recognizing shame's story in your life. What does shame sound like for you? Maybe write down the way you talk to yourself when you shift to shame. And then catch yourself doing it. When you catch yourself shaming yourself, say, that's shame. That's a lie. Number two, face it. There's this phrase in treatment, shame dies in sunlight. So just like bacteria is killed by sunlight, shame dissipates when you look it in the eye. Face your shame directly. Say it out loud. Shame is telling me I'm a terrible person. It may help to tell someone about it. They can help you see through the lies shame tells you. 
This is one of the most powerful aspects of therapy, telling someone about the things you're ashamed of and learning that the shame isn't truthful, that it's not your fault that you're abused, that you're not a terrible human being. Maybe you just have some things to work on. Okay, then check yourself for responsibility. If you think you're a terrible person, what kind of person do you want to be? A patient boss? A faithful partner? These characteristics speak to your values. A value is a direction, not an outcome. A value is something you can always take action on in the present moment. You can always strive to be a little closer to your values. So take responsibility for your actions. When you do mess up, which we all do, let the beautiful but uncomfortable emotion of honest guilt serve its function. Let it motivate you to do the hard thing. Admit your mistake. Try to make repairs. See what you can learn so you don't do it again. But don't get sucked into the shame hole where you just spiral around feeling like crap but not fixing anything. Okay, you are not broken. You are not bad. You are not irreparable. Don't let yourself believe shame's lies. I hope this was helpful. Thank you for watching and take care. Most people don't know Okay, that was an excellent reflection, I would say, right? But that is also coming from a secular perspective. When you think about shame, I like the way she identified a few things. She said that pure emotions serve a function and they motivate to repair. Um, shame leads to avoidance. It, you can squirm its way out of responsibility. She also said that value being honest and faithful, right? Um, identify the the guilt and shame that you feel. Face it and take responsibility. I'm always, I'm so keen on taking ownership and responsibility. We have to take ownership and accountability. Even if we're wrong in a situation, we always have to acknowledge that we're at least partially responsible for our reactions to other people, right? So, it doesn't matter if I'm if I'm right and they're wrong, but if my reaction to them is wrong, I'm partially responsible for my reaction, right? Even if they're incorrect. So we have to look at shame. Shame only dissipates. So shame only vanishes when we can identify, face it, and take responsibility. And so God when we look i wanted to point out in this scripture here in romans in romans 10 and 11 it says as the scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame so god will never allow you to be put to shame so there is no reason for us to continue to focus on the shame and the guilt but what we have to do is embrace it at that moment allow the conviction to come into our hearts so that we can repent means to turn back to our original goodness that God wants us to prevail in and dissipate all of, let, let all of that sinful nature vanish from our life. That is how it dissipates because it's going to vanish. So God will never allow us to be put to shame, but he wants us that we should be with conviction in our heart. So the problem is many times people go through life and they don't feel bad about what they're doing. So they continue on doing the thing because they feel that it's okay. But when we take ownership and responsibility, we know that we're at least partially responsible for our reaction to things 
in the way that we decide to continue on in our patterns of behavior and reactions. So let me go ahead and pray. I'm at the two hour mark. Um, Father God, we come boldly before your throne of grace and we thank you so much for allowing us to receive your word today. We lay every burden and concern at your throne of grace and we ask that you please shape our lives in a way where we can live a life that is fulfilling to you. We ask that you remove everything out of our life that is not allowing us to advance into your kingdom, God. We want to be able to fulfill your plan, will, and purpose. And we thank you for allowing us to see all the things that we need to see. So we ask that you continue to allow us to see things from your eyes and not our own and to hear from your ears and not our own. But most importantly, God, we want to know things from your perspective. We want to see and hear people from your perspective and not our own. So most importantly,